DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He's the author of numerous books on the spiritual teaching of St. Ignatius of Loyola, as well as the teachings of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, including The Biblical Way of Praying the Mass, The Eucharistic Wisdom of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, the book on which this series is based. A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Father Gallagher. Thank you once again, Chris. It's such an important moment in the Mass. It is what so many hearts desire and one of the reasons why we do whatever we can to get to Mass, and that's to receive communion. We desire communion, don't we? We do. Probably that's a description of the deepest part of our humanity, even outside of sacramental communion. We desire communion to be loved and to love. It's so deep in our hearts, and certainly here now in this supreme part of the Mass, which is the Eucharistic prayer. This is an absolutely a key moment for us when we receive communion. Well, let's move toward what Venerable Bruno is going to invite us as a way of living that moment. Let's move from some experiences to his teaching. And I'll take these first from the spiritual journal of the servant of God, Elizabeth Lazar. And this is really a defining moment. Her story is well worth getting to know. Happy marriage, but with an atheistic husband, a powerful deepening of her faith through their marriage. And after her death, her husband, reading her spiritual journal, was deeply pierced and was brought to faith himself and eventually became a Dominican priest and propagated her writings and actually was instrumental in introducing her cause of canonization. So at this moment, she is uh, with her husband. They have gone down to Rome for some time of vacation. And while they are there, Elizabeth sets off walking alone down to St. Peter's. Of course, her husband and his atheistic circle have no part in this. And she writes about the experience of what happens that day in St. Peter's. I set out alone for St. Peter's, and after going to confession to a French-speaking priest, you know, in St. Peter's, you got all the languages, almost, of the Catholic Church there. So after going to confession, I went to communion in the chapel of the Blessed Sacrament. This is the chapel, maybe about a third of the way up the church on the right-hand side. We used to pray there ourselves during my years as a seminarian in Rome. Because St. Peter's is so big, uh, even this Blessed Sacrament Chapel is still pretty good-sized. And uh, if you're not able to get to communion at Mass at times, communion will be given out in that chapel. And so that's what happens. She receives communion there. Those moments were completely and supernaturally happy. I felt in myself the living presence of the Blessed Christ, of God himself, bringing me an ineffable love. This incomparable soul spoke to mine, and all the infinite tenderness of the Savior passed for an instant into me. What if we understood receiving communion in these terms? Never will this divine trace be effaced. The triumphant Christ, the eternal word, he who as man has suffered and loved, the one living God, took possession of my soul for all eternity in that unforgettable moment and now the fruits of that moment. 
I felt myself renewed to my very depths by him, ready for a new life, for duty, for the work intended by his providence. I gave myself without reserve, and I gave him the future. I'm thinking as I read these words of St. Ignatius' comment on love, that love is a mutual giving, so that the lover gives all of what he has and is to the beloved, who in turn gives all to the lover. And you see Elizabeth doing that here. I gave myself without reserve, and I gave him the future. I then heard Mass in another chapel in profound joy and peace. I prayed again, and then I knelt close to the confession that set space uh, just in front of the main altar in St. Peter's, where the tomb of St. Peter is, in a last intimate and solemn consecration. She goes on to say, I, I don't quote it here, but she goes on to say that she then goes back to the place where they're staying in Rome. Her husband is there and with his circle and all the usual irony and so forth with regard to faith, but she says nothing mattered anymore now that I had received him in this way. And this is from her journal about a year later. So she has gone to confession and the confession has brought her great peace. And now she continues. Yesterday morning, I went to communion in the same peace and the same abandonment to God. I felt Christ Jesus truly living in me. And now I want to become different, to be wholly Christian. This is the, the phase in her life in which I think it may be proper to speak of this as spiritual writers do as a second conversion. First conversion is when we give our lives to Christ. But the second conversion can happen when that reaches a whole new depth and we give ourselves more completely to the Lord. I think we're witnessing that in these uh, journal entries in Elizabeth. I felt Christ Jesus truly living in me, and now I want to become different, to be wholly Christian, with all that that word means of forgetfulness of self, strength, serenity, and love. One more quote, and this is two months later in the same journal. Yesterday I went to communion with joy and renewed the offering of my life to Jesus my Savior. May he give me grace to be his apostle and to make known to souls by my example and my deeds the strength and life he gives to a soul and how he can transform a human being even as weak as I. It's interesting that she says um, how she can be his apostle by example and by deeds. Note that she doesn't add by words because in the circle in which she's living, she knows that that would be counterproductive. And if you, if you read her writings and her life, her, her whole endeavor was to make Christ present by being a loving presence. And look at the fruitfulness you know, that came from that, not only for her husband, but for many others. The divine spirit who out of ignorant fishermen made apostles of burning zeal can make use of me to do a little good, and I fervently ask for this from him. Let's look at another Elizabeth now, and this is St. Elizabeth Seton, who entered the Catholic Church as a convert at age 30. If you ever go down to the very southern tip of Manhattan, you can actually replicate this walk. I did it once um, when I was there and had time. She was living at this point at the, at, at the utter southern tip of, uh, of Manhattan. The house is still there. St. Peter's was the, was the church, and it's a walk of some minutes from her house to this church of St. Peter's, which is not far from actually from the site where the Twin Towers were. On this day, this March 25th, at 30, age 30, she is going to make her first communion, which she does on that day. 
And that same day, she writes a letter to a close friend of hers describing the experience. At last, Amabilia, at last, God is mine and I am his. And those words, God is mine and I am his, are all in capital letters, followed by an exclamation point. Now, let all go its round. I have received him. Those words are underlined. I have received him. The awful impressions of the evening before, fears of not having done all to prepare, and yet even the transports of confidence and hope in his goodness. My God, to the last breath of life will I not remember this night of watching for morning dawn, the fearful beating heart so pressing to be gone, the long walk to town, but every step counted nearer that street, then nearer that tabernacle, then nearer the moment he would enter the poor, poor little dwelling, so all his own. And when he did, the first thought I remember was, quoting Psalm 68, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. For it seemed to me that my king had come to take his throne, and instead of the humble, tender welcome I had expected to give him, it was but a triumph of joy and gladness that the deliverer was come, and my defense, shield, and strength and salvation made mine for this world and the next. It's too holy a space for me to even attempt to comment. And then a third figure of sanctity, and this is St. Therese, and she wrote her story of a soul in roughly the last year and a half of her life. And while she was writing it, she also remembers and describes her first communion. Ah, how sweet was that first kiss of Jesus. It was a kiss of love. I felt that I was loved, and I said, I love you, and I give myself to you forever. There were no demands made, no struggles, no sacrifices. For a long time now, Jesus and poor little Therese looked at and understood each other. That day, it was no longer a look. It was a fusion. They were no longer two. And to comment just a little more theologically on this, I'll just read a few sentences from uh, Reflections of St. Thomas Aquinas on the Feast of Corpus Christi. O precious and wonderful banquet that brings us salvation and contains all sweetness, could anything be of more intrinsic value? Under the old law, it was the flesh of calves and goats that was offered. But here Christ himself, the true God, is set before us as our food. What could be more wonderful than this? No other sacrament has greater healing power. Through it, sins are purged away. Virtues are increased. And the soul is enriched with an abundance of every spiritual gift. Reverently again, because we're on very holy ground here. Having said all of this, having seen these witnesses, how will Venerable Bruno invite us to live our own reception of Jesus in communion? In which, as St. Thomas says, Christ himself, the true God, is set before us as our food. And Venerable Bruno writes, at communion, I will seek the sentiments and the heart of one in love. You know, Chris, it's striking me, even as we're going through all of this, I don't think you can go through this approach to the Mass, just breaking it open a bit as we're doing, as Venerable Bruno presents it, and not fall in love with the Mass, and uh, begin to understand why St. Zelie just didn't want to miss it, you know, even at the end of her own life. 
And we'll see a little bit later, there's something very similar in Venerable Bruno in his last months, uh, struggling against his, his illness to try to be able to celebrate Mass, you know. It just will become something, the right word is infinitely precious in our spiritual lives. It will become, as the Council says, it is the source and the summit of the whole of our Christian life. So I invite us now, as a way of entering into the sentiments of one in love and who receives the Lord this way, to pray just a few biblical verses. And these first are from Psalm 63. And these are words of simple and pure desire. And we'll follow those with one verse from Psalm 27. O God, you are my God. It is you I seek. Let your heart feel this longing. For you my body yearns, for you my soul thirsts. Feel the deep desire of your body, soul, humanity, for the one who alone can fully satisfy. Come, says my heart, seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Say these words slowly, unhurriedly, from your heart to Jesus. Now let Jesus invite you to receive him in communion. And ponder his own words about what it means to receive communion and Ask for the grace that the meaning of these words penetrate your heart and prepare you for your next communion. I am the bread of life. What does it mean that Jesus is the bread of your life? My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. True food, true drink, the nourishment you need for life in this world and the next. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Desire this, a lasting, ongoing, abiding union with Jesus. Ask for it now. Prepare to receive it. We'll conclude our reflections on Venerable Bruno's to receive invitation to receive communion with a heart that loves. With these lovely words of St. Anselm, and they're actually the introduction to his written work called the Proslogion, which is a meditation on God and creation. But his invitation to enter into meditation also serves, I think, very beautifully as an invitation to receive communion with similar sentiments. Come now, O little soul. Escape from your everyday business for a short while. Hide for a moment from your restless thoughts. Break off from your cares and troubles and be less concerned about your tasks and labors. Make a little time for God 
and rest a while in him. Enter into your mind's inner chamber. Shut out everything but God and whatever helps you to seek him. And when you have shut the door, look for him. Speak now to God and say with your whole heart, I seek your face, your face, Lord, I desire. You've been listening to A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass with Father Timothy Gallagher. To obtain the book on which this series is based, A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass, The Eucharistic Wisdom of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, visit EWTN.com, the website for the publisher, EWTN Publishing. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this program has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our mission of bringing free spiritual formation material to the world. But most of all, we hope you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass with Father Timothy Gallagher. 